Aloha, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Doze Knows. I'm glad you guys have been tuning in. I've been getting a lot of feedback from a lot of people uh, on how good the show is, on things that I can change and and make it so it's a better show for you guys. Um, also wondering uh, who you guys want me to bring onto the show next. So any suggestions, I would love to hear them. Maybe we can get those people on the show. Uh, you guys can always contact me through social media. Uh, Instagram, Dozer Dave. Facebook, Dozer Dave Barnett. Uh, Twitter, Dozer Dave Knows. <laughs> so there's all different kinds of ways to get in touch with me. And also check out and find your favorite episode of Doze Knows. You can also go to www.dozenose.com and get hold of me that way as well. Um, this week has been a great week. I had one of my really good friends, Brian Bielman, come in. And he is a legendary surf photographer. He used to be with Transworld Surf from the start to the end. Um, he's pretty much worked for every single surfing magazine out there. You know his photos from uh, Nathan Fletcher at Chopu to Raymana getting barreled by the jet ski. And there's so many more. But he came out and hung out with me. And we got to go out to the lava flow. It was his first time out there and see what Pele had to offer us. And we got some great pics. It was just a lot of fun. And then after that, we sat down and did a podcast before he flew out. So let's give a big warm welcome to Brian Bielman. Brian, welcome to the show. Brian, welcome to Dell's Nose. Ah, Dave, thank you very much. Stoked to be here, buddy. I'm super stoked to have you here. We've just had so much fun over the last couple of days. You're over here on the Big Island with me and came over to do some photography, photographing of the lava flow. Yeah. And it yep. was your first time. Yeah, it was awesome. I mean, waking up at 1230 at night, I wouldn't even say I was waking <laughs> up. It was like we didn't sleep and then hiking, you know, getting down there to our car, car drive and hiking all the way back there. That was the gnarliest hike I've ever done in my life. 10 miles walking legs, lava in the dark. My legs and back are still sore. I'm glad to hear it, man, because you're younger than I am, and I thought it was just me getting old. Well, you had like a 50-pound pack God, on your a, bag. I had a small child on my shoulders <laughs> for, for five hours. <laughs> yeah, dude, you were... That's what it felt like, same weight. Yeah, you were struggling on the way out. Oh, now, thank God. God I had those uh, guava sticks. Yeah. That kind of, you know, walking sticks that kind of helped save the day. I know I went there a week ago and my knees were shot when I came out of there. There's so much turning and twisting and undulating on that rock. Oh, my God. But it's, it's so worth it when you get in there and you see Pele in action. Yeah, it was so worth it the next morning when I woke up and it wasn't as bad. Then I was like, ah, oh, that was awesome. But walking back, I was like, I'm never doing this again. Right. And then by the time we got back here, it was like 3 o'clock. In the afternoon, we had no sleep from the night before. Yeah. I I was just trying to force myself to stay awake. I think by four o'clock, I was fucking done. Yeah, I think I ended up going to bed at about five o'clock and slept till six the next morning. So this morning, yeah, yeah, yeah that was crazy. <laughs> that was the best longest night's sleep I've had in a while. I did, guess that's what it takes for a good night's sleep, huh? Bust did you get your some? Ass and, did you get some good photos? 
I did. You know, it's funny because we didn't have a huge lava flow. There was like moments of little things popping out. It was kind of like mm-hmm. going on a surf trip and getting two foot surf. Right. But, you know, I have this great camera now. It's got 50 megapixels. And so I started zooming in on the lava just to kind of look at the texture and check for sharpness. And I swear, the images I started seeing in the lava were blowing my mind. So I got to go back and look on my computer screen to make sure I was seeing all the things that it looked like I was seeing. But honest to God, it was like seeing little people and faces and all kind of crazy stuff. Like one of those things like when you're stoned and you start to see all kinds of weird shit. Right, exactly. That's got to wait till I get home looking at my computer and make sure it was all there. <laughs> no, it was so much fun, man. It's it's cool to see Pele in action. And, and the lava is different every single hour, every single day. You know, last week I was there, it was a huge ah-ah flow, which is a real crumbly, thick, but fast moving. Yeah. And so it kind of blew me away. And then, you know, we got there this week and it had gone down more into the flats and it was just, it was just kind of a slower oozing. I think more of the river was over to the middle, which we couldn't cross because it was hot, man. Yeah. Our, our shoes were melting. Yeah. And it's crazy too, because you always watch those movies where people are like running from lava. That's like giant walls of lava five feet behind them. And it's like, that's such bullshit because we were like. 20 feet or 10 feet away from these small patches of lava and the heat was unbelievable right unbelievable so well there was times definitely you could smell your rubber burning on your shoes and yeah you didn't want to stand in one spot too long or yeah or anything like that you seem to put yourself in all kinds of crazy positions like that you know whether it's um a lot of people um just so we can get to know you a little bit um, you're orig- you're 58 years old. You're from the North Shore, uh, or actually, you live on the North Shore. You've lived there for how long now? I got there in 1975. Wow. Yeah. Way back in the 17 day. 17-year-old kid. Jerry Lopez days. Yep. Jerry Lopez was, in fact, my hero. Yeah, and you're originally from Virginia? Originally from Virginia. I was born in upstate New York, believe it or not, but I got to Virginia about third grade and lived there till I graduated high school, and then saved up 200 bucks, drove cross-country, Got to Hawaii. Those were the days, huh? Three and a half hours, no sleeping, driving across the country. Three and a half days, I'm sorry. Getting to Hawaii at night, waking up in the morning, seeing the palm trees, blue sky. And honest to God, the moment I woke up and saw that, I was like, I'm never going home. Right. And I never did. Absolutely. Those beautiful white sand beaches. And I'm sure back then the North Shore didn't have all those houses on the ocean like it does. God, it was just this sort of hidden place that only surfers knew about, Mm -hmm. you know, it was, I mean, I literally came from Virginia, which was more expensive than Hawaii. You know, in Hawaii, I paid $50 a month rent and mowed the lawn (laughs) and lived in paradise Yeah, because the world hadn't found it yet. They didn't know about it. You know, just surfers. That was it. Yeah. That's, that's crazy. And you're, you're married. You have three kids. You have a beautiful wife, Shauna. Mm -hmm. How long have you guys been married? We've been together about 20 years, mm-hmm. literally. So That's married, good. You guys passed that big hump, you know, that seven-year itch, and then the 10-year one. Yeah, well, we're still trying. The 15. You, you, you never are, stop trying in a marriage, that's for sure. So we're still... Yeah, it's, it's a lot of work. It's yeah. a lot of work. And you, as long as you keep pushing through it, you know, it's, yeah. it's always going to happen. Yep. And I'm a pretty... Uh, uh, you know, I like I like my little tight knit family and all that. So I enjoy I enjoy my family and my life. Yeah. Now some of the photos, dude, that you're famous for. You know, there's there's so many. You know, you worked 
as lead photographer for uh, Transworld Surf for like 15 years. Yep, since you, the beginning of the mag until uh, it went out. Yeah, and then you've um, pretty much worked for every single magazine out there. Um, you some of your photos from Nathan Florence at, uh, or I'm sorry, Nathan Fletcher. There's so many Nathans now. Nathan F's. <laughs> yeah. Um, at Chopes and uh, that great one that Billabong used for a long time, Andy at Pipe. But one that freaking really, really sticks with me was that one time where Reef McIntosh and Raymana Van Bolster over in Tahiti at Chopu. And it was a tow in day. And Raymana was, or Reef was towing Raymana in. And and somehow something happened. Raymana takes off on the wave. Reef couldn't pull back out. Exactly. And, and Raymana got barreled by a jet ski. Yeah, exactly. You want to tell me the story. What happened that well, day? Well, you know what? That was back before a lot of people were towing in. That was one of the early days of towing at Chopu. Uh-huh. And it was a huge day. And we all went out there. And I remember, honestly, I didn't see the whole thing as it all went down. I just sort of looked up, and there was Raymana coming through a barrel with the jet ski going over his head. It was incredible. <laughs> so, But, of course, you know, after that happened, we talked with everyone. And, and basically the story went that... Raymana wanted Reef to tow him in, and, and Reef had never towed anybody in. And, mm-hmm. you know, Raymana, oh, brother, brother, come on. I, I'll show you how to do it. It's no problem. It's easy. <laughs> so Reef tows him in, and he doesn't, as he's towing him in, he doesn't get over the wave fast enough. Over the lip. Over the lip, yeah. And he gets to the top of the wave, and the next thing you know, it starts sucking him over the falls, and Reef dives off the ski, gets sucked over first, and the and the... Uh, jet ski comes after him and literally is flying over with the lip right over Raymana's head. It was the craziest thing ever. And, and you were um, front row center. Oh yeah, front row center. And the funny thing is, is I uh, my shot ended up being the most famous photo of uh-huh. this. But in actuality, I got to give credit to Jolie because Jolie had the actual sequence of with Reef jumping off and everything else. Right. I just got the ski, you know, going over the lip uh, with Raymond in the tube. But um, yeah, my shot got, ended up getting going all over the place. The ASB took it, and uh, the guy that worked for the ASB at the time somehow it ended up with his name, his assistant's name. It was crazy. It's like everybody's name in the world ended up on the photo except mine, and it ended up getting into uh, Surfer. Uh, excuse me. It ended up getting to Sports Illustrated as a double page spread wow. without my name on it, with with his assistant's name on it. Anyway, it was a Did big Did that mess, ever get fixed? That's just all the kind of stuff that happens in photography. The world doesn't care much about that. But but it's funny because Raymana ended up calling me like two days after that. You know, and the fo- and the sequence went uh, like to New York City and it was played all over the billboards in New York City. Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole world saw it within, you know, a half a day of it happening. Right. But I do remember Raymana coming to me later and trying to figure out a way that we could get the jet ski on eBay and try to sell the no jet way. ski. Yeah, yeah, he was trying to... <laughs> Red Bull jet ski on exactly, eBay. Exactly, exactly. And I remember thinking like, well, gosh, man, the jet ski, I, I forgot which company it was, but I was thinking, oh, man, these guys would probably be stoked, you know, but they didn't want anything of it because it shows their jet ski like... Going, going over, over the, the falls. falls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so nothing really happened. Raymana didn't ever well, actually too bad there wasn't a, se- it, a, it. a sequence of that thing going over the falls and then somebody picking it up and driving it right back out. Then they would yeah. have loved that. Yeah. Well, that never happened. That thing was Our toast. jet ski goes over the falls at Chopu and yeah. still lives. And Yeah, that was... 
That was one of the craziest things. I mean, literally, he could have died very easily. You know, Reef felt terrible about it, but it wasn't his fault. Did Reef get sucked over the falls? Oh, yeah. He got sucked over the falls so bad. And then when the next wave came after that, uh-huh. he popped up, and you could see him just right there in the pit oh as the next God. wave came down on his head. So he suffered for that thing, man. Yeah. And then he just felt so badly afterwards for the whole thing. But it wasn't his fault, you know? And he no. told Raymond straight up. It's like, dude, I've never told anybody. And I in. don't want to do this. Raymond, oh, <laughs> brother, brother. It's like, you got this. But it made them both famous, that's for sure. The whole world knew who Raymond was after that. Re famous for the wrong reasons, you know? But, but uh, yeah, that was an epic moment. That was, you know, there's probably 10 epic, epic moments in my career, and that would definitely be hands down one of them. What do you think is your second one? Well, I don't even think that's my first one. I think my first one is Nathan Fletcher at Chopu. Uh-huh. And, and that was just... What I year mean, was that? Uh, that was 2011, uh-huh. I believe. It's only about five years ago. Yeah, yeah that it code, was. was it a code, that Code Red swell, Code Red, right? yep. Yeah. We knew about it the day before the whole thing was going down, and we woke up the next morning, and literally the ocean was washing through people's houses, yards. It was it was crazy. Mm-hmm. They stopped the boats going out. The law wasn't letting anybody go out, and all the drivers didn't want to go out because they were going to lose their license because they were fishermen. Uh-huh. And boats started slowly sneaking out there, you know. And I was actually affiliated with Billabong at the time, and Billabong wanted nothing to do with it, so they wiped their hands of it. And so the next thing you know, I... From being affiliated with them and being the closest guy with all access, I, I ended up being one of the guys without a boat. Right. Well, they broadcast that thing live, didn't they? Yes, they yeah. did. Actually, a lot of the broadcasting was ended up from being on the boat that I was in. Mm. But I couldn't even get on a boat for a while. And uh, I was like left on the dock, me and a couple other Billabong photographers. And I actually watched one of the boats come in with three of my photography buddies on it, came in to drop another boat off. And... Dudes wouldn't even look me in the eye. They kept their heads down. I was like, I can't believe it. They're not, you know, this is how competitive it gets out there and stuff like this. They actually left the dock with me on the dock, not like, hey, jump on in with us, you know? So (laughs) that one still sticks with me. I'm not going to name names, but geez. Come on, guys. But I ended up going back to the house where I was staying and I was flipping out. It's like the day of all days and I'm not on a boat. I saw Kelly in the harbor and he's looking at me like, why are you not out there? It was crazy. But I ended up going to Billabong, the house where we stayed. And one of the guys that worked for Billabong saw me get on the ski dude i grabbed my case got on the mm-hmm. ski drove out there started pulling up to all the boats nobody had room i couldn't get on with anybody we ended up going to uh timotea who's the craziest boat driver uh-huh. out there I, and I, I say crazy with respect you know because he knows what he's doing but the dude puts you in some heavy heavy situations and i swore i would never get on that boat for that swell like with during him. like during the closeouts yeah 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 and next thing you know, I I ended up on his boat, and I ended up in the back of his boat with an actual really good seat, and and I remember thinking to myself, I just went from not even being on a boat, and now I got like front row in the heaviest boat, you know, which means you're gonna probably get scared a lot, but you're gonna get some shots. Yeah. And I was just super stoked until the first set came in, and then I thought, oh my god, what have I wished for? I mean, it was yeah. the most terrifying thing I've ever experienced in now, my life. Now, is his boat one of those ones that are sitting right there so close to the pit, Yeah, but yet so far inside that when that set comes through and those guys are trying to kick out, they're almost literally jumping into your boat. That's it. Or the boat's going straight up vertical over the wave, 
and then slamming back down. That's it, dude. I watched footage later from the beach, uh-huh. and you can see what's really going on from that angle. And every single time we were the last boat just to barely make it barely over. Barely make it over that lip. Yeah, it's crazy. And, and at first, you're terrified. And then after about 20 minutes, something happens, and you just... You you really are starting to get to that point where you're just accepting the fact that you may die. You know, it might happen, but right. but hey, you know, you're gonna go out taking pictures. At least the way that's the way I look at it. Well, every, what color boat is his? Oh gosh, oh he's had a few different ones now. I can't remember. I think maybe that year it was the yellow one. Yeah, maybe, yeah, I think. yeah. Because I remember seeing that boat go over. Um, Bill Kiley, uh, window seat. Productions, he was doing uh, Shane's new TV show that never ended up coming out. I think it was called Chasing Giants or something like that. And had all the production team on the boat when they got caught and the whole thing flipped. All the production team in the water. Some of these guys had never even seen big waves before in their lives from LA, you know, and yeah. they're just dying. Well, you know, it's funny. That actually was two years later, the next big big swell that that happened oh, okay so you were there for that but one. i was there for that one and i that's right shooting. because you were part of the crew yeah well i wasn't part of that you came crew. over well you came over i remember you came over to the big island with us while we filmed over here and it turned out those were the guys and, and yes. i said and and i told them i said you're not going to believe this but i have photos of this all happening and it was Raymana's wave, and I shot it and got over the top and looked back, heard screaming, yelling, and I looked back, and I can see this boat hitting this wave, and I'll see the bottom of the boat, and next thing you know, I see the, the boat make it over, and everybody that was in the boat is gone, and I look inside, and they're all swimming, and I remember shooting pictures of them, and it was such a surreal moment. When stuff like that happens, it's yeah. crazy, because you realize, like, what's going down here? This is life or death Why well, I, I remember shit. seeing some of those photos and the looks of just pure fear yeah. on these guys' face because you were taking it from the top yeah. of another wave. Yeah, looking down on them. That is looking straight down and they're going, oh my God, yeah. here comes another one. And I don't even know if I can fucking swim and in the first place. And they're not water people. Yeah. So they're thinking they're dead. Yeah. They just think we're dying right now. This is all going to end. And even if you are a water person, you're thinking that. But they're just, they just, you know, didn't know they thought they were goners for sure, and I don't know how they weren't, but there was enough water on the reef somehow that they managed to stay in deeper, deep enough water, and another boat was able to come get them. But, you know, they had to go under a couple waves for sure. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I and it's shallow oh my God. and sharp. Yeah. I remember a couple of the guys had their watches ripped off, wedding rings ripped off. I've seen carnage, dude. I've seen people. I've seen boats go up with camera equipment flying out of the boats. I've seen people falling from the front of the boat to the back of the boat. This this chick one time that happened to her I remember and she broke that. her back. Yeah. yeah. I've seen so much crazy stuff. And, you know, it's just one of those things. It's like the more you're out there and the more you know about the break, the more scared you are. Mm-hmm. People come out there and they think it's an amusement park. Like they're just safe because there's that yeah, little like, zone. Like point break. Yeah, there's that little that, zone that is sort of <laughs> where safe. they have the carnival ship out there. Exactly, Did you see how exactly. they made it a joke? Exactly. And it's like and and after the big swell, uh, code red, which was the heaviest thing I've ever experienced, the next one was the swell we're talking about where the guys got mm-hmm. thrown out, which actually was almost a scarier swell because the direction of it, 
there, the boats, there was far more boats out there and more chaotic and more close calls. There's probably it, more west too, huh? Yeah, I think so. And it was four days in a row. So it's like you'd go out there in the morning and you'd have to work up that courage again. And then the, finally the day was over and you'd be so thankful you made it. But the next day we'd wake up and it was still big again. So you had to do the whole thing over, start all over being terrified again, you know, for the first half of the morning. It, yeah. I've never seen anything like it that next swell four days later. But I remember thinking at the end of those four days, you know, I've seen so many epic days, so many historical days. I don't know if I care if I ever come back here again because someone is going to die out there. Yeah. And the boat that I seem to end up in most of the time is probably the most likely boat that it's going to happen to because we're so yeah. close inside, you know? Well, you've had so many historical days, like you were saying, but there was uh, this winter was pretty freaking historic, and you got to be part of that. Yeah, the and Eddie. and almost freaking dying again. It seemed like you know there's some photos thought, of you where it looks like you're being chased down by a freaking mountain, close out mountains. Yeah, at Waimea Bay during the Eddie Dude, event, and it was a heavy one. It yeah. was super heavy. And the thing about that swell, this is now we're talking about the Quicksilver contest, Eddie Cow 2016, and I'm shooting it for Quicksilver. And days before, we knew it was going to be either too big or it was going to be the biggest contest I ever had. Mm -hmm. And we woke up in the morning, and uh, it was so... The scariest part was before I ever got on the ski, just the anticipation of uh -huh. like having to go out there. You Watching know? these monsters. Oh, my God. It was closing out first thing in the morning. It was closing out first thing in the morning. And, and typically on a swell uh, you know, at YMAF, <laughs> people are talking about a, if a closeout set happens. Mm -hmm. People are talking about that for... Like, there was a closeout set. Like, that was so big. That was the one. This day, there was 10 closeout sets before the event even started. And I remember seeing Glenn Mincata, who, who was running the whole show, and mm -hmm. I was, like, jokingly like, hey, Glenn, I heard there's not enough skis. You know, I could always shoot from the point. You know, ha, ha, ha. Right, and he turned and looked at me, and he said, hey, Brian, you don't have to do anything you don't want to do. If you don't want to go out there, you don't have to. And I actually thought about it for a couple of minutes, like, maybe I don't want to go out there, you know? Right. But you know what You know what it was? It was, first of all, it was the Brock swell. Brock had just passed yes. away. And I remember just Brock, you know, calling me out, like, dude, you're not gnarly, you know? And, yeah. and I'm like... Yeah, you're right. Next to you, I'm not gnarly. And all I kept thinking about was Brock, you know, and he's watching right now. And it's like, you know what? Damn it. I'm going to go. I'm out there. I'm going to show him, man. I'm out there. As as did everybody else that was out there. Yeah, I think yeah. so. I think so. And I just ran straight back, put all my gear on, grabbed my housing. And I just without thinking, ran down to the shore, jumped on a ski. Me and Zach Noyle, we just both jumped on the ski together and we got towed out. And, and I remember Zach immediately jumping off to swim. And I thought, Go for it, dude. I'm staying mm -hmm. on the ski. You know, you could swim. But as it turned out, I honestly believe that the ski was the scarier way to go. Yeah. Because when those big giant sets come, it's like you've got to stay away from that white water. You know, if it's if it's crumbling at the top, there's no way to get over it. If you're swimming, you just dive through the thing and you come up the other side. But with the ski, my God, we were like being chased left and right. And the contest hadn't even started yet. And I remember sitting on the ski and all the jet ski drivers are hooked up to the same radio. And mm -hmm. Mel Poo is on the beach. You know, he's kind of running the, the thing from, from inside where he can see what's going on and giving all the guys the heads up. And there was probably three skis out there with photographers and about three or four of them that had, you know, like rescue guys, life guys, li lifeguards on and stuff like that. 
So I'm, I'm sitting on the ski, and I can hear Mel Poo get him on the radio, and we're all hearing the same thing. And he just said, guys, it's the biggest set of the day. It's huge. It's closing out the bay. Get those guys out of there. Go now. Go, go, go. This is what I'm hearing, and uh-huh. I'm just like, I literally was just frozen and you know I, I not fear but just sort of like what the you, fuck is yeah coming? you don't have time to be yeah. scared you really don't you're just like what's our next move and my jet ski guy makaha craig who thank god is such a good jet ski driver we start heading as fast as we as we can out to sea and we get over the first wave uh-huh. and we see behind the first wave it looked like a three four story building and a five six story building behind it already starting to feather it was crazy and we're hauling ass as fast as we can to make it over this thing and we and right where we're at it starts to crumble at the top so Mm -hmm. we have to turn and start riding alongside of it looking for an opening where there's things not breaking that we can get over the top somehow the other jet ski drivers most of them seem to get over the top of this wave but we couldn't and at the very last second we had to turn at the top of the wave and like you're doing like you're doing a big carve exactly snap going up the face here comes the lip the white water it's starting to break so we have to turn mid face on this thing and we end up with the waves starting to break right behind us literally it looked two, like it was feet i saw yeah, the photos two or three feet behind us it was crazy and i'm holding on to my camera with one hand and i got my legs clamped to this jet ski as tight as i can and my other hand that i'm holding the strap to the seat the strap was broken so instead of it being tight to the seat it was like loose like the reins of a horse right. so i'm literally bouncing up and down trying to get in stay in front R- of this trying, wave riding a bull riding a bull it was the craziest thing ever and i'm just like running in on this thing and it's like 10 seconds into this thing we're halfway into the bay and the and the uh the Craig, the driver, turns and looks at me and is like, you may have to jump. <laughs> and I just remember thinking like, okay, or saying, okay, just tell me when, you know, like <laughs> whatever I got to do, you just tell me. And somehow we managed to stay in front of this thing and we got to the very inside and literally 10 feet from shore, we turned and we're able to bust through the first wave of the, sh- you know, as it hit the shore break, yeah. bust through that thing and it threw me off, but somehow I managed to hold onto the strap pulled myself back up on it just in time to bust through the next one, the second one. And, and the same thing I flew off, but was able to hold the strap, pull myself up again. And then we just jetted from side to side, like getting around each section of the wave where there was an opening drove all the way, got back to the outside and dude, we were screaming and yelling because we'd survived. We were so, (laughs) so stoked. And I just said, Oh my God, dude, that's the gnarliest thing I've ever done in my life. And he's like, dude, that's the craziest thing I've ever done. And I'm like, dude, don't tell me that you're a lifeguard you're a freaking stunt guy you know it's like i don't want to hear that but it's like we made it we were just it was the most incredible thing and i was so happy to be alive and by that time you're just like okay i'm in the zone now i can handle anything and yeah you know we had uh six or seven more heavy heavy close calls because the wave this day they weren't just breaking where the surfers were catching them and we were weren't sitting in a safe zone which happens on other directions they were coming wide no, the whole entire bay was breaking. Sometimes the waves were bigger where we were sitting than where the surfers were taking Absolutely. off. I was sitting on the point, and I'm watching you guys out there on the skis. I'm this, everybody's right there in front of my face. Where majority of the people, they're either on the beach, which is, what, quarter, half a mile away? Yeah. You know, watching it over all of these waves breaking. I'm up on the cliff on the very point of Waimea Bay at our friend Kathy's house. So I'm able to look down at everybody right there, see all the skis, see that wave, 
that chased you down. I'm watching all of these guys. Every time a big closeout set would come through, you'd see the jet skis. A couple of guys would sneak over the top. The rest of them are racing towards the freaking beach like like yeah. you guys were. You guys, yep. I'm standing right next to Clark Little. I'm actually doing a little Eddie Icow moment um, podcast, which I haven't even put out yet. But I'm standing right next to Clark Little as that set came through. We're talking about Brock, and then all of a sudden we see that. He, that's when he took that photograph of you being chased down by that monster. Everybody's going to be able to see it. It's going to be on my website. Yep. And uh, it's, dude, it was so crazy. Yeah. Watching how big that wall of water was. Literally almost watching you disappear in that wall of water. Yeah, well, it's funny because I never even turned around to see that thing. Yeah. So I never knew how big it was, you know, until... Well, I got back onto the beach later that day, and I asked all my friends, hey, did anybody get any shots of me out there? You know, mm -hmm. and they're like, oh, no, we sort of know. And I was like, I don't believe it, man. Next day, I was on my way to Jaws, and my wife texts me the photo. It's Clark's photo. She happened to see it. Craig's wife posted it after she saw it on Clark's uh, Instagram. Uh -huh. And I just saw the photo, and I just was like, holy crap, man. I yeah. couldn't even believe it. And I was like... Clark, I owe you big time for this one, buddy. And I, as soon as I saw that photo, I remember thinking to myself, man, I'm going to milk this shot for oh, <laughs> forever, you absolutely. know? Absolutely. There were so many mem memorable ones, too, that day of of Abe Lerner oh, with uh, Strider on the back who was Dude. doing a live commentary. Heaviest, heaviest guys in the world. Abe Lerner Going driving, Larry Gaines filming for the actual live cam, Strider in the back doing commentating. And the and at, seriously, when I was out there in the ski, we were in some heavy spots. Right. But every time we'd make it over the wave, I'd look over my shoulder, and there's Larry, Abe, and Strider, way on the inside. Yeah. And I they barely busted through so many of them. And yeah. I mean, I tell you, those guys are the gnarliest guys. And I told Strider, that's the heaviest broadcast any guy has ever done in any sport in he any was situation literally upside down on what going through so the heavy. lip of one wave yeah his back got shot oh god it was it i give those guys so much credit you know after that i was like strider that you are the man dude now, all of them larry larry's the gnarliest filmer of all time and and abe's probably the gnarliest jet ski driver of all time yeah and i'm glad i wasn't on that damn ski yeah well you know it, it continued to do that and produce all day long, well, you know the, even after the event and into the next day. Yeah. Well, the funny thing was, is after my you situation. You could have held two eddies. After my situation in the morning, uh, you know, and then a lot more heavier stuff going down. Well, we, we didn't have enough skis. And there was two of us out there shooting for Quicksilver. Mm -hmm. And uh, the other guy, Zach, was doing these live things where as soon as he'd shoot the photo, he'd send it into, you know, the internet and all this kind of crap. And I'm, I just don't do that crap. I don't yeah. want to do it. So one of us had to go, and he was the obvious choice how to stay. So I was a little bummed at first, like, I can't believe this. You know, I'm out here. I'm finally acclimated. Now I got to go in, you know. So I made it through about the first half of the whole day, and they took me in to go pick somebody else up. And they dropped me off at the beach, and I remember walking down the beach, and it was crazy. It was like thousands of people, and they all started applauding me. And I'm looking out to the ocean, like, first they're applauding, and I'm looking out the ocean to see what they're what's going on. And then I realized <laughs> they're applauding me, like, coming in, and they're taking their pictures. Dude, you're so heavy. And I'm like, dude, I am not heavy. I was just happened to be hanging out with a bunch of heavy guys. That's <laughs> I was it. scared as Oh, I was scared as hell, man. And I got back to the beach and I started taking a shower and I can hear him going, there's another giant one. Look at this. There, All the skis are coming in. And I saw four skis coming in. Yeah. They were way ahead of the wave because now they know better. 
ours was right on our ass, you know, but mm-hmm. these guys saw what was coming and they didn't even fool around. They just started coming in way early. But I remember at that moment thinking to myself, I am so glad I'm on the beach now and I'm not having to do that again. You know, <laughs> once was once was plenty enough. Yeah. And I, then I, I ended up on the point where you were too for the rest of the day, which is actually the best angle to see that God. whole event and to photograph and it's, it's it. It's hidden. Nobody even knows. It's it's awesome. It's the best place to be. Best place to be. And then you're watching guys like Healy going left, going like right into your face, and you're yeah. like, oh my God, he's going to die. It's all rocks right here. Yeah. But somehow he sneaks right out. The other thing I was watching from that point there is what everybody else doesn't get to see, three tables. Oh, man. As it comes in over at three tables before it hits the bay, it looks like it's freaking two, three times the freaking size coming across there. Yeah. And then wrapping around and coming to the bay. And like you said, those giant sets that would break all the way across the bay. Well, they would start over at three tables. And you're just left there with your jaw hitting the ground going, oh, my God, what kind of day is this? Brock came alive and just gave us the best thing that could ever happen in the best conditions. It was totally the Brock swell. I mean, everything about that swell was was Brock's personality. It was right on the edge of almost just out of control. Mm. I mean, literally 10 years ago, that would have been considered out of control. Sure. They wouldn't have even gone. Yeah. But the, the, the level has risen so incredibly, you know, and the things guys are doing and the chances are taken now that we were on the beach and, uh, uh, <coughs> oh gosh, Bob McKnight. Yeah. He was there and I heard him saying to somebody like, I don't know, guys. It's it, it's a too big. I mean, should we go? And uh, Twiggy just said, "Dude, it's a big wave event." Exactly. You know, it's like there is no such thing as too big. Yeah, Eddie and, would go. Yeah, Brock would go. Oh my God! Where and we went out there, and and I swear, like you said, I think Those everybody was giving it their all because <laughs> because they knew this was Brock throwing it at us. Yeah, everybody gave it their all. You know, but that day, I think put to rest any anybody calling you know bullshit on Waimea these days because there's so many bigger waves and jaws so and heavy else. but that place it might not photograph the biggest but you know it's maybe the heaviest yeah you know and and this particular swell for sure i heard kelly tell me that there were ledges he's never seen break before outside of the main ledge nobody was sitting on the main on the main ledge he goes you were sitting so far out on ledges that they didn't even know existed out there. Yep. It was so crazy. So they're also having to try and figure out those outer ones. Yeah. You know, I, where to sit. and It's true. I've never seen anything like that day before. You know, I, I've been out at Waimea, I don't know, over the years, 10 times. Uh-huh. I've never seen anything like this. It was crazy. And if I never go out there again, that was a good way to end it, you know. Yeah. Well, you'll be out there again. Uh, hey man, this I'm, winner. Well, you know what? Going to go again? It's I'm calling funny it. because I'm 58, and so I'm thinking like the Eddies only go like every four or five years, and uh-huh. so how, what am I going to be 63, 64 the next time it breaks? It's like, do I want to be out there? Nah, and it's like, I don't know, man. 59. I just keep pushing my my. <laughs> you know, I keep saying enough's enough, and here I am. I'm still doing it. You know, but then you got guys like Clyde I- Icow out there that's like 63, 64, surfing <laughs> the wave. Yeah, and he took a gnarly wipeout as well too. 
Dude, Clyde is amazing. And he was everybody's hero that day for yeah. sure. And I saw him come out there and I, I photographed him sitting there psyching up for the heat, you know, and just watching his face. And I can't even begin to think of what was going through his mind, you know. But his first wave he took and he was wearing those vests. Uh-huh. And, you know, there's good times to have those vests and there's bad times. And he definitely experienced a bad time because he wiped out and the thing just kept him on the surface. Uh-huh. And he just bounced all the way down that wave. I have a whole sequence of it. It was just crazy. And when he came up i was like thinking like dude is he calling it quits Uh 60 what is he 64 yeah something like that and he came up got on the back of the ski and just got towed right back out of there and into the lineup and went on to catch an insane wave after that and i i just have so much respect for that dude he's the real deal man he is the real deal the the ical family there's a lot of heavy guys but who's still going to be out there when they're 60 anything Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. but i gotta tell you the one thing the big wave riding is you know you got surfing and you got the the wsl and god the you know, what they're doing is incredible and all the technical things with the airs and just everything. You can't take anything away from those guys. But these guys that go out on big waves, that's a whole different deal, mm-hmm. a whole different mindset. They're the gnarliest freaking human beings around. Yeah. Now, you've uh, got to experience a lot of these big wave events uh, recently, you know, because mm-hmm. it's been an incredible year. Yes. You went to the Jaws event. A couple of times, and I did. took a lot of photos of some giant waves. Yeah, there. this is the best year I think Jaws has ever had. Now, where are you filming from? The point, or off you the know, cliff, or have you been able to get out there on a boat or a ski? I I try to mix it up. <clears throat> um, this year, I was the one time I was on the cliff. Well, one of the two times I was on the cliff was during the actual event the WSL had, mm-hmm. and it just so happened that that time was by far the best place to be was the cliff. You know, the angle. I don't know what it was, the spray, the way it was all happening. But I swear, I think I got the best photos from the cliff of anybody that day, you know, even the guys that were in the water. But other times it looks better in the water, most of the time. Mm -hmm. Problem is these days is, you know, there's so many guys out there shooting it and, and it's like, you know, I'm not with a mag anymore. And uh, so I got to pretty much cover my own, you know, expenses. expenses. Yeah. Yeah. And you fly over there, and then you get out on a boat, and then you get out on a ski. By the time you're done, you've spent 1200 bucks. You used to be able to shoot off of a boat, and everybody would share the boat and share the expense. Now there's skis, and everybody wants to be the closest, and they all hug right up to the corner. Uh-huh. It's like being at the airport. When everybody sees their luggage, they all hug the luggage. Right. Instead of everybody backing up, and they can you know, see the luggage. You know, It's the same thing. It's that dumb mentality. Everybody wanting to be the closest guy. Right. So that's what's happening now, It's and it's really really well, tough you to see shoot. that at pipeline as well too yeah it's you know it's like you got 50 to 100 photographers standing butt to butt oh, next to each other it's like okay yeah. what's going to differentiate this shot from the next guy to the next guy to the next guy it's just micro fractions of a difference in angle yeah is, is what i'm seeing i personally have always loved the longer lens uh-huh. You know, when you're looking at a wave like Pipeline, you're seeing the guy in the barrel, you're seeing the ceiling, and then you're seeing the thickness of the lip, and then you're seeing the roof, you're seeing the exploding white water behind it, maybe a little bit of the land. Mm-hmm. That's my kind of shot. I love that. Believe me, the fisheye stuff is gnarly, and I'm too old for that anymore. But even on those shots, they all start to me to look the same because you're only seeing the ceiling of the wave. Right. You know, and, and a lot of times a ten foot, twelve foot wave will still look like a four foot wave. Uh-huh. It's really weird. And believe me, I'm not taking anything away from those fisheye guys. They're heavy. My nephew, Brent, he's one of the heaviest guys out there. Yeah. But there's too many guys doing it now. And it's like you got everything's with a wide angle. So it just it like almost makes it so 
that there are no other f photos available anymore because mm -hmm. there's just heads everywhere. But that's how it is, and I, I'm not going to complain because I had so many incredible years of uncrowded, you know, situations yeah, and all that. You've traveled all over the world. Where are some of the places that you've been to? You know, there's a lot of places I haven't been to uh -huh. because I tend to find really good places and go back over and over and over. Uh -huh. I've spent a lot of time in Indonesia, Fiji, Tahiti. South uh, Pacific everywhere. Yeah, though I go for the warm spots. I really <laughs> right. like being warm, you know, and, and being in Hawaii the last 40 years, I'm not used to the cold. Um, so I have, a, you know, but lately I've, I've been sort of changing my act because for the longest time my whole deal was hang out with the best surfers in the world and be at the biggest waves breaking and, mm -hmm. and being like or the literally best spot. Yeah, if there's one place to be a surf photographer and be at that's the best place in the world to be at, I was there. Mm -hmm. Problem is now there's 50 people all flying in every time there's a big swell and mm -hmm. stuff's up on the internet like hours later and and it does you know, it's like a 15 minute kind of experience now right. you know it used to be different you would get your film back you go home you get it developed you send it to the magazine a month later the whole article would be in the magazine and you got to see a sure. double page spread and the, the magazine whole trip it was they, they would they would focus on like hey these boys just did a boat trip to all these different spots in sumatra you know or in the mental eyes when yep. and it would focus on that whole trip the whole story different surf spots you don't see that anymore yeah, and, and the other thing, I was talking to a friend of mine, Tom Survey, another old-time photographer guy, yeah, old-time, I don't know if he likes that term, yeah. <laughs> and we were saying, like, there's so many great images now, but why aren't there as many iconic images? And we figured it out that it used to come out in the magazine, and the magazine was all you had for an, an entire month. Uh -huh. So you'd look at it over and over and over until the end of the month when the new mag came out. Now everything's up for 15 minutes, and the next day it's something new, and that's it. That's the life of an image for the most part. Uh-huh. You know, a day max, maybe, unless yeah. it's just one of those photos, like obviously, like you Nathan, on the jet Nathan ski. Fletcher. Or you Nathan have to have a Fletcher. Nathan Fletcher now if you want something to stand out. Or Raymana in the jet exactly. ski. Exactly. Those are images that stay with you for the rest of your life. And even but, those, it was still all about magazines at the time. Mm -hmm. But I still try to follow the big waves. I still shoot Hawaii whenever it's good. Yeah. Obviously. But now I'm trying to, like, I want to start going places I've never been, and I want to be the only guy there shooting it, you know? And I, and I, was, uh, I was working for Vulcan for quite a few years and got to do some really cool things with them, like uh, Chile. I mean, that was incredible, going to Chile and being the only one shooting, you know, this, these incredible waves without 30,000 people there. And you got to sort of wait a while and wait for the magazine article and the movie to come out and all that kind of stuff. And so I think I'm leaning more towards that direction now, trying to do things that are on my wish list, my bucket list, right. you know? right. Um, but yeah, uh, these days it's got to be something pretty damn special to become an iconic image, you know? Yeah. How do you, how do you think people are, are able to do that? What, with the amount of photographers that there are these days with, um, it seems like the surfing magazines are going out of business. You know, you look yep. at trans world, you look at some of these guys, a couple of the, and you thought trans world was like one of the strongest ones there is, you well, know, we were just like Quicksilver used to be the, one of the strongest companies yep, they and they're were. not anymore, you know, yeah. um, how is it that surfing and surfer and stab are able to stay alive right now? How is it that a photographer is able to stay alive in this world of so many photographers out there and the internet just going, yeah. Wild, where anybody can post anything and yeah. instantly become famous. You guys were used to going out there and go, okay, 
this is the cover shot of the magazine. I'm going to get, boom, a 10 grand freaking thing. Or even the Billabong XXL Awards where the photographer gets like 10 grand and the winner gets, you know, 50 grand, whatever it is. How are you guys able to do that these days? Where, well, where do you see this industry going? I, okay, I'll, I'll let me backtrack for a second, explain sort of the difference between how it was when I first started and how it is now. Uh-huh. When I first started, there was just a handful of surf magazines around the world, and there was maybe a hundred. That's probably even pushing it. You might say even you know fifty photographers, surf photographers worldwide, and we had our we had magazines and we had inexpensive traveling and we had millions of breaks that had never been seen before um and you know we shot with film and uh you swam out in the water you had 36 photos it was a whole different deal so you got an incredible image and it really stood out you know so nowadays fast forward and you've got you know instead of magazines you've got the internet and you've got Everybody and their mother showing up at every spot when it's good. And the photos, there's just a hundred photos of everything that happens. And the and magazines, they're all like free photos too. Yeah. Well, people just want to see their names out there. You know, it's almost like, it's almost like uh, being an occupation. It's, it's kind of like when people call me up, hey, I want to be a surf photographer. It's almost like I want to tell them like, guys, you know what? Do yourself a favor and make this your hobby and have fun with it. Because right. trying to make money and be a, a professional photographer, you may get very frustrated. Some of you guys are going to really make it because there are, there are guys out there that are doing a really, making a really good living with know how they know how to work the system but they've also got their name already established as well too yeah yeah the whole thing is just so different now it it really is i mean my nephew is telling me the other day because he's the he's the main guy at surfing magazine and and i'd say zach is the main guy at surfer and it sounds like it sounds like because of the internet becoming bigger than the magazines, they don't care as much about the still photos, not to mention they have more they can use anyway. Mm-hmm. And it, it sounds like they're going to start sending these guys out with their cameras, and they're going to be on a live feed that you can click onto the internet, and boom, up pops Brent's camera, and you're just watching Brent for an hour out in the water. and Right, wherever he's at. Yeah, and I just look at it like, thank God my time with the magazines is... Mm-hmm. Or, or working exclusively for the magazines is kind of at, at the end of it because that to me seems more like reality TV or yeah. paparazzi. It just doesn't seem like photography to me anymore. So it's good for those guys. They're stoked. They want to do it. They're going to become rock stars, you know, doing it because it's all right. going to be about going to Brent Bielman's camera and seeing what he sees. Right. Even the d- days of video might be going away then. Yeah. Because really, nobody even goes and buys videos anymore. It's online. Yeah, exactly. You can go to places like Stacking Clips. Right. And you can watch every video there is. And that's the future of surf photography. Yeah. You know, it's just everybody's shooting, so you're going to have to have that stuff up, like, not even quicker than the next guy. It's going to be after going to have to be real time. Real time, live. Yeah. And I'm just not that fast, man. I'm not used to that, and I don't even want to go that direction. Shane's so. going to have to change it to stacking live clips. It's it's really really nuts. And you know what? <laughs> it's going to be interesting. It's going to be fun for people. But I think the golden years, at least the way I see them of surf photography, I, I was in in those years, and I don't. I'm not. I'm not too excited about the way it's going and I don't really care as much to be part of it. Where do you see, you know, where do you see yourself going right now? If, if this industry is changing so much in front of you right now, um, and you've been so focused on still clips your whole life, 
Where do you see it going for you right now? Well, I think for me, it's pretty obvious. I mean, uh, you know, it, it, I always thought I'm going to be in this game. I'm at the top of the game. I'm the lead guy at uh, Transworld. You know, I'm working for Volcom. I'm going to be in this uh, game for another 10 years because I'm going to keep working hard and nobody's going to be able to knock me out. But what you don't see coming, you don't see things changing that are out of your control. You know, mm-hmm. Transworld got uh, acquired by Surfing and Surfer and they shut them down because mm-hmm. we didn't need three magazines. They were the competition. So, boom, I was done. There's not enough uh, magazines for photographers. So I watched all the <laughs> photographers pretty much end up with no work you know I still had Volcom that kind of kept me in but now with times being tough you know Volcom just let go a whole bunch of guys and I was one of them right so it's almost like I would have probably never let go because I just it's hard to once a surf photographer always but it was actually something I wanted to happen because it's been 40 years I can't keep doing I can't keep chasing kids for 40 years I can't keep you know going to every spot every time I get a phone call that somebody just paddled out it's it's nerve-wracking it really is you know we were talking about this the other day and and nowadays you guys are the ones that are chasing the pro surfer where they're going out where back in the day it used to be hey Tom surveys over at pipeline Brian Buhlman's over here at Off the Wall. You know, let's run over there and get in front of those photographers because that's where I'm going to get my shot to get on the cover of Surfer Magazine or get that center spread because, seriously, they followed you. You know, you guys were actually the kings out there. It's funny you say that, you know, because I do remember that now. I kind of forgot it was even ever like that. Right. But now it's like each each guy, pretty much each company has their own photographer or each surfer sometimes even has their own photographer. And there's no intimate relationship outside of that. You know, it used to be 20 of us. We each had our own mag, 20 of us on the North Shore at one time. Uh We'd each have our own mag. Everybody knew where we were, and that's how the game was played. But now it's just... There's literally 50 guys shooting. Mm-hmm. So surfers don't care anymore because they know wherever they go, you know, there's there's going to be a million fo- shots of every photo they've ever gotten. So oh, that's yeah. kind of why things and, have changed. And you see John John do a Superman or something. There's lit- literally 50 photographers from every country yeah. taking it in different angles. And yeah. yeah. And you know what? It's, it's just the way it is. And guys that are doing it now, for the most part, they're enjoying themselves as much as as we did with our situation. But I just don't, you know, I don't want to compete against 20-year-old kids for Instagram photos. Right. And don't get me wrong, I'm still out there in the best days, and I'm still working for companies and doing trips and things like that. But it's changed a little bit for me. This will be the first winter I've never been, I'm not still on some sort of uh, uh, program where I'm expected to be somewhere. Uh-huh. So. For the first time, I'm going to have a winter that's going to be the way I thought my career was going to go, which was I'm going to start taking surf photos so I can keep surfing. And, of course, you know that doesn't work that way. Right. This is the first winter that I am going to be out there when it's really good, and all those other days I'm going to be surfing. Because I look back on what gets used and what doesn't get used, and i got a pretty good idea which days to safely go surfing and not worry about missing anything. Exactly. And that's where it's going for me. And the other thing is, is you know, after 40 years and and playing the game good enough with the internet that if you type in surf photography, my name's one of the first names that pop up. Uh So what that ensures me of is a lot of bigger companies outside of the surfing industry hiring me for a lot of jobs. And Hollywood's been doing the same thing. They've been bringing you in to do all the stills that they use for the promos of their movies and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, I've had some really cool other stuff. I mean, I did some big uh, 
major campaigns, like I did a Guinness campaign, uh-huh. um, uh, Athleta, I just did something for them. Gap just did uh, like a whole line around me and my nephew uh, for T-shirts, you know, where they used us as the advertising campaign. Uh-huh. And actually, they it went so well, they want to do it again next year. So stuff like that, really cool stuff. I, I also uh, did a TED Talk a few years back, and IBM saw it and actually hired me to come to one of their conferences on Maui and speak to about... Uh, three separate shows of 1,200 people each. Wow. Yeah, that was more terrifying than swimming out the pipe, I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah. But, but that's, I, that's one of, uh, I would say, everyone's biggest fear is getting up in front of people and publicly speaking. Yeah. And well, you know what saved me? I have fun doing it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I've had years of showing slideshows with a beer in my hand and just running off at the mouth telling about each of the stories. Because they're usually that, in front of all your friends. Right. And that was my practice leading up to this. But... Dude, I'll tell you, there's something about putting that microphone on and standing behind the curtain as they're introducing you and ready to walk out in front of all these people. It was literally terrifying. And I, I remember sitting there at one point going, how did I let myself do this? Like, this is scary. And I remember walking out to the front of the stage, looking at everybody and just praying that some something was going to come at, actually come out of my mouth, you know, words were going to come out. Yeah. And it was so funny because you watch the footage because uh, they filmed the whole thing and you watch the footage and you can see me like... Hello, IBMers. Like it almost <laughs> yeah. didn't come out for a minute, but you know, a lot of people black out do, through those things, oh, and yeah. but it, it, it ends up flowing naturally. But when they're done, they get off stage and they're like, "I really don't remember anything that just happened." Yeah, yeah. It's almost like you know, leaving your body situation. If you screw up, you it really is. You start like, "Oh my God, is this going to get worse? Is this going to get worse?" I went out for a practice run right before the show and forgot the first they're the second sentence of my whole 15 minute talk uh-huh. which believe me 15 minutes doesn't sound like a lot but when you're in front of the audience and you have to remember basically what you need to talk about and hit key moments and things like that that's the hard part you know yeah but anyway the i, I got out there the whole thing went really well ibm was super stoked they actually did a survey amongst the guests about who their favorite speakers was were and I was the favorite speaker the first day. And who, well, first of all, who who were the other speakers? Well, there was Ron Howard from film Happy director. Days. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I can't remember their her name, but whoever the girl is that sings the song from Frozen, you know, okay. she's like big big deal. Big and uh, American Authors Rock Group. Uh huh. Um, so there was some you know big names out there, and uh, I was just super stoked to hear that, you know. And IBM wants to hire me back, so they're telling me to go out and get an agent. So I'm kind of right in the middle of finding an agent, you know, somebody to rep my archival uh-huh. work. So I'm I'm trying to think bigger, you know. I, I've got my hand up right now. I'll be your agent, yeah, dude. <laughs> and you'd be a good one too, dude. Oh so my God. so you know what? It's like it's Those I'm a little promotions. sad because <laughs> the surfing industry. I thought I was going to like be top dog forever, but I realized that there's there's bigger things out there and I'm a grown up now. I have to remember that. It's exactly. hard to remember. Exactly. And you've worked hard to make it to where you're at right now and to have people start to appreciate your work after all of these years and yeah. want to have you come in there and do big conferences and motivational speaking yeah. to some of these people to show, hey, this is what happens when you work hard. Yeah, well, that's cool, you know, and and I didn't realize I was working hard the whole time because I was having such a good time. Well, fuck, dude, you've had you've had an incredible, incredible life, you know. Like I said, you've traveled all over the world. You've seen some incredible moments in history, in surfing history. 
um, from you know the Nathan Nathan Fletcher wave to you know John uh, John John Florence growing up as a kid to what he is yep. now. Raymana, um, you've been there through some pretty uh, pretty tough times between Andy and and Kelly. Yeah, you know, watching the that rivalry go and. Um, and then to see it, you know, those guys that you firsthand. You're right, man. I mean, it's been an incredible life. And I think the coolest thing about what I do is it's like getting to hang out with all your heroes, mm -hmm. you know. And, I mean, they do incredible things. And if you get to be the guy there that's capturing all those moments, I mean, what a treat. What a pleasure. How, how incredible. And... You know, it, just the fact that they wanted me there, you know, yeah. right there, that makes you feel really great that they, they take you into their circle and you're able to get all these incredible moments, which at the time they don't seem so incredible. But, you know, like like as we know, after Andy passed away, I looked at all my photos of Andy and I realized, my God, this is this is some of the best stuff of my whole career. You yeah, know? I, I remember one instance where you guys went on a surf trip and it was, it was in the heat of the moment between Andy and Kelly. And those two both were on a trip together. Yeah, flying the champagne. And uh, Andy refused to get in the water with Kelly. Yeah. You know, what, tell me that story. How well, that... it was supposed to be the big movie of the two of them coming together, you know. And, and so we, I was traveling with Andy's camp, and we get there, and of course Kelly has decided to hold off a few days because he's looked at the weather charts. Uh -huh. And everybody, whether he is playing head games or not, everybody always thinks everything he does is a head game. You know, I don't really Kelly know. Kelly shows up when he wants to fucking exactly. show up. <laughs> but it's funny because he showed up three days later when the swell did get bigger, but he missed probably the three most photogenic days. But uh -huh. anyway, so we're there wondering, like, what's Kelly doing now? Is he going to show? You know, it's one of those kind of things. Yeah. So Andy surfs for three days and we shoot, you know, the whole time. Kelly finally shows up and we're like, yeah, this is it. It's on, you know. Well, you know, Andy would be out th that day surfing and Kelly would show up in the next boat and Andy would come in and then Kelly would surf. And we're like, what? You know, what's going on here? Same thing. I'd be talking to Andy at the restaurant. I'd see his eyes look up, and he would just stop mid-conversation and walk out. And I'd turn and look, and here's Kelly walking into the restaurant. So it's not what they were planning. You know, they, that, right. there was still that wall between them. And what changed all that was uh, Shane Dorian was in Bali at the time, and somebody got a hold of him and said, hey, Shane's coming. Shane's going to come out here and hang with us. And Shane's best friends with both of them. Exactly. Yeah. And that changed everything. And I remember... I remember walking by the restaurant and there was Shane sitting there with Kelly on one side of him and Andy on the other. And I just walked up to take a quick snapshot. But that really was the moment when the things started to happen. And it took Shane to do that because both of them felt at ease with Shane and they were able to let down their guard right. and laugh and talk and stories. And from that moment on, they started surfing together. They started hanging out together. It was really something to see years of this uh, you know, the biggest rivalry in surfing of all time, yeah. breaking itself down. Because as you said, you know, Kelly was Andy's hero. Yeah. You know, whether Kelly realized it at the time or not. Well, you know, Kelly's probably thinking, oh my God, yeah, I, I'm the king of this sport right here. I'm dominating this whole entire sport. And here's somebody that's coming up on my heels that is challenging me and mm -hmm. challenging and people go up and challenge him all the time. But this guy was legit. Yeah. And he was the title contender. Yeah. And he was taking titles. He was the one guy that could stand up to Kelly and give him the real fight Kelly had been waiting for. Right. 
And that, and you know what? Kelly lives for that shit. Exactly. You know, when you saw those heats between Kelly and Andy, Kelly would take it to a freaking different level. And so would Andy. Those two would just, they were almost like identical. You know, where they were just like, oh my God, rah, and step it up. But, the, you know, there was so much animosity there too. But, you know, there was so much admiration for each other at the same yeah. time. Yeah, there sure was, man. I mean, I still remember the movie Blue what was it called? Tom almost said Blue Lagoon. Um, <laughs> you know, the movie about Andy that Jack McCoy did where they oh, portrayed yes. Andy as the black shorts. The one with Rasta. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the wolf pack and then Kelly's the clean cut, you know, and it's like, come on, guys, you're you're going you're going to extremes here with both of the guys. But I do remember Andy's comment. Remember when they asked him and he's like, I just want to rip his pretty little world apart or something like that. <laughs> and I just thought that was so badass. You know what I mean? It was so killer because. You know Andy. I mean, Andy, yeah. his emotions, everybody knew what kind of mood Andy was in. He didn't hide it, which was what was the best thing about Andy. I loved yeah. it. I remember one time a, a newscaster coming up to him, and, and he had just lost a heat. And like Andy, after he just lost a heat, who wants to be anywhere near him? Yeah. And the newscaster lady from France came up and said, Andy, you have just lost. How do you feel? And he's like, how the fuck do you think I feel? <laughs> you know, like, get out of my face. And then it was, oh, Andy, you know, bad loser. And it's like, no, idiot newscaster. Like, that's what... Come on. Yeah. That's what everybody feels. He just said it. Well, he just know? got out of the water, man. Fuck. I'm pissed. But I saw the moment where those guys started to let their guards down and let their respect for each other be shown, and it was a great, great time to be there and see all that happen. Yeah, I know. Kelly was, just as we all were, you know, he was so distraught. He was so hurt when Andy passed away. And yeah. Those who had actually became really tight friends and... um yeah, it was tough. It was tough on all of us. Andy was was a great person and great inspiration and had a real hard life. And um, But, you know, what what are some of the other more memorable things that you have experienced? You know, whether it be a trip, have you ever, you know, you've done a lot of water photography, you know, not just from land or a boat, but you're out there in the sw- swimming in the water with these waves, putting yourself in a position in a barrel in a crazy wave, have you ever had any gnarly wipeouts? Have you ever had any sharks come up to you and bump you? Uh, you know, well, you're right, man. I've been position. in some gnarly situations for sure. Like, you know, the ones where you're just about drowning. And, uh-huh. and, and when you just about drowned, it's the weirdest experience because you're held under and you come up and your body's so weak mm-hmm. and you're actually starting to think you're in other places and doing other things than where you are, you know? Right. You're starting to black out. And I've experienced that enough times, you know, to, to know what it's like. And it's actually kind of peaceful. I mean, if I ever end up going in the ocean... You know, the first part of it's a little scary, but when you start kind of losing consciousness, it's like it's actually kind of peaceful. So I don't know. If I ended up going that way, I wouldn't be so bad. Yeah. Sharks, I've never actually, like, experienced something heavy with a shark, but I've had a couple times with, well, perfect example, I was in Tahiti, two Amotus. I'm there with Raymana. We're going there next month. Yeah, yeah, you'll love super it, Super excited. You'll love it. So I'm out there with all the Tahitian guys, and we're doing a crew with the Indies Trader. And we get there, and it's pretty small. It's about two feet. Well, I'm out shooting small fisheye photos with surfers going by, and Ramana's leaning over his longboard with a mask and a spear gun, and he's just looking at the fish underneath. And he tells me, hey, Brian, there's an eight-foot shark that's been just hanging out and watching you. And I'm like, shut up, man. He goes, no, I'm serious. He goes, but it's fine because there's plenty of fish. He's just checking you out. He's not going to attack you. So I didn't know if he's and telling I the truth. And I have a spear, and I yeah. will poke him. 
So I don't know if he's telling the truth or not, right? But right. whatever, okay. And the next day, we leave, and we take. You have to take this little uh, boat to get to the to the airport, like a little motorboat uh-huh. to get to the airport. That's one way to get there. And so that's what we're doing. And as we leave our boat, there's a fisherman on the side of the shore, and he's cleaning fish. And he's long white hair guy, long beard and everything. And we're like waving goodbye to him as we go. Well, we get to the airport. Ten minutes later, he shows up with a big trash bag on his leg. They're, they're bringing him because just as we drove away, this big shark, probably the same one that was checking me out, with all the blood running off of his fish into the ocean, came up out of the water and actually bit his leg. Onto the beach? Onto the beach as he's sitting there and what? bit his leg. And there, there they were. They brought him onto the airplane with a plastic bag on his leg. And it's a short little trip, maybe 25 minutes to, to uh, the main island team. Yeah. And we got there and ambulance was waiting for him and everything else. But poor guy couldn't speak any English. And I'd look at him and his eyes were so big. But I just remember thinking like, dude, you're from Tahiti. Why would you be cleaning your fish on, fish on the shoreline? Right. You know, but that kind of thing, you know, it wasn't directly with me, but... And then the other one was just last winter. These are the two biggest ones I can think of. But the other one was last winter. My uh, uh, buddy called me up and he said, leftovers is going off. And I said, man, it's oh, like yeah. 5 o'clock. Let's wait till tomorrow morning. So I wake up in the morning and I, I'm just too tired. I just want to have coffee and watch the news and take my time getting up. The leftovers so, is spot right up on the North Shore, just exactly. south of Waimea Bay. Exactly. So I ended up not going out there and I woke. I got you know, had my coffee, watched TV, and I decided to go surf. So I just went to a closer break, mm-hmm. which was Camiland. Mm-hmm. Well... The same time all this was going down and I would have been out there was when that guy got his leg bit off. Right. So I would have actually been sitting out there with him either getting... Chomped. Chomped or at least being there when the whole thing happened with him. I've surfed there so many times and every single time you're just like... Yeah. "Ah." And and right in that little cove where you're coming in on the left, you know, it's just, you know, it's just the water's a little darker. but, But it's true. There's been too many little things happen along that area yeah and just so everybody knows it always seems to happen when it's like four foot and in the fall for some reason (laughs) so four foot fall don't go out to uh that leftovers yeah (laughs) four foot's like perfect you know it's just so rippable and but I, I'm guessing, you know, there's been a lot of sharks around me millions of times. and you oh, yeah. never. I've, I've had some really good shark experiences here. And what you were talking about with the shark coming up on the beach and biting a guy, I've seen um, just here at the Four Seasons here, some guys, they were out there spearing a bunch of fish. And they're like, okay, well, I come in, bring in all the fish. We're on the rocks. We're cleaning it. And all of a sudden, I was, I was walking down the beach, and they're probably about 50 yards in front of me. And I see this seven, eight-foot freaking looks like it's 200 pound moray eel come out of the water across the rocks bites one of the freaking guys and then steals the fish and oh my boom God, back in the water man. i'm running over there and this is after the tsunami hit so um they're over by kona village so it's it's shut down it still hasn't been put back together um and this guy's a mess do you know moray eels are gnarly especially a big one and they just go in there and they rip and tear yeah. flesh apart. Just some. And so I'm literally having to run back as fast as I can. It seemed like it was about a mile all the way back to the Four Seasons, grab somebody there, tell them to call an ambulance, bring the first aid kit, and then run back, you know, with whatever medical supplies they had for me right there. And, oh, it was nuts, man. These some gnarly freaking animals in our waters. Yeah. So... 
Yeah, you're lucky. That's scary stuff, man. Super lucky. Yeah, I, I I spend a lot of time in the water, obviously, but I still don't I still don't ever stop looking around the whole time I'm out there. Yeah, you know, if I've got I a mask on, especially if I'm doing underwater and I can see, that's when I'm really looking around me. You know. Yeah. Well, I had a guest on last week. He was uh, his name's Mike Spalding from Maui, and he's one of two people that have swam every single channel in the Hawaiian Islands. That's how gnarly That's it is. That's crazy, man. And he is the only person ever bit by a cookie cutter shark. And it literally went in there and freaking whoom out of his calf. It's ah. gnarly. I got pictures on my website. You can ah. check it out. And well, holy yeah. crap. There's there's some gnarly shit I, in the water. You know, I waters, respect man. sharks, but I'm not a I'm not a shark lover by any means. Right. I just want them to I just want to see them in pictures and stuff. But crazy as that sounds, I ended up swimming with the sharks. You know, we went out on a boat where you mm -hmm. actually swim out with the sharks. Great whites. I don't know what I was thinking. the ones but, on the North Shore. Uh, it was on the North Shore. They weren't great whites, and all. I mean, they, I don't know what kind of sharks are there. Are there? The I mean, Galapagos sharks, reef sharks, tiger sharks. Right. So we had the sand sharks. Are they called sand sharks? That would be in the sand. Then they are sand <laughs> sharks. Whatever they were, they were about six foot. So not huge, but you know what I what, what I realized tip, white tip. Maybe. I just realized one thing about the sharks that we were encountering is they just swim around you. like They're like little puppies. As long as you make eye contact with them, they're more scared of you. Uh -huh. you know? So they never, ever like came up to attack or you know, anything like that. They were just swimming around like super curious. But you just keep your eyes on them the whole time. So put it this way. If you puppies, went out, puppies like to do little love nips, too. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. If you were to close your eyes for five minutes... And not make eye contact, guaranteed, little by little, they come closer and closer and start nipping. You know what I mean? Yeah, those nips can take yeah. off an arm. Yeah, so, <laughs> so I think that's, I mean, I'm not trying to tell everybody to go swim with the sharks, but it was a pretty cool experience. Well, you, know? you see what's going on in California right now. They're being inundated by great white sharks. They've, <sighs> they literally, every single day I get onto Yahoo, you know, their main page, and it's like, more great white sharks are attacking boats, and they've seen more great white sharks since the beginning of the year to now um, all over the coast of California, Southern California, than they've ever seen total in 30 years. That's crazy. And, That's and you know crazy. what? Nobody knows why. I why? Mean, there's, there's theories, but we really don't know what's going on. Is yeah. it natural? Is it a man-made you know, situation? Yeah. Who I knows? I don't know. And then, you, you know, you had that... That incident with Mick last year at Jay Bay, and yeah. uh, that was scary as hell. And, and again, you have people going, well, he wasn't attacking him, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, I don't care what he was doing. He was he knocked him off his board. He was underneath him. It's like, it's terrifying there was some no thrashing what going, was going on. on. Yeah, that shark knew Mick was there. It knew what was up. It was coming up. Uh, that was crazy. But it, he, he was lucky, man. He was damn lucky. Now, I always ask people um, at the end of the podcast, uh, have they ever experienced anything weird, extraterrestrial, spiritual? You know, it could be, you know, we got some strong mana going on here in Hawaii, you know, with some ghosts. And I've experienced a bunch of that stuff myself. Um, how about you? Yeah, you know, it, that's funny you say that. When I first moved here, I was a young kid and I worked at Waimea Falls Park. Mm -hmm. And I was a janitor from three to nine in the morning. So I remember getting to work one morning and everybody was sitting around, the other guys, cleanup guys and the security guard, and they're all sitting there. And I started to say something. They said, hey, quiet, quiet. So I'm, I'm looking around, listening, and I can hear these, these, these noises from on the second floor. And finally they went away. And I said, what's going on, guys? And they said, well, we keep hearing these noises 
And then we go, I, I would go to investigate the security guard and I'd, the, the noises would just keep getting farther away from me or they would stop. Uh-huh. But I keep noticing doors are unlocked and I come back a little bit later and the doors are locked. So weird stuff like this was going on and we were right. just like, wow, couldn't figure out what it was. So I remember going downstairs and it was time, I, it was my turn to clean the downstairs area and there's a coffee machine and I'm waiting for the coffee to, to brew and I'm sitting on the, the uh, counter right next to a hot dog machine uh-huh. and a hot dog machine has the rollers on it yeah. and I remember sitting there and I had my coffee or uh, yeah my coffee cup and I was kind of running up and down the rollers going kak, 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 just waiting for the coffee finally uh, or it wasn't with a coffee cup I'm sorry it was like a, a little Coca-Cola cup right. finally I see the coffee maker oh it's ready so I left the Coca-Cola cup just sitting on the hot dog machine and I walked over and started pouring myself a cup of coffee all of a sudden I hear a click and I hear kak, 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 and I turn around and the coffee machine has turned itself on and there's a co- and the coffee cup had rolled to the edge of the rollers and was just like kak, 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 kak. and I thought okay I I'm half asleep I must have leaned up against the button so I went over and looked and it was the button was on the far side of the hot dog machine with nothing around it and it was a heavy stainless steel button uh-huh. there was no way this thing accidentally got knocked or you know whatever right. it just basically turned itself on so the the uh, security guard had to write a whole thing up in the log, uh-huh. and a few days later, the cops came to talk to him, and he's like, "Why are you guys so interested in everything that happened that night?" And they said, "Well, the same night that there, there was some people having a party, and we went down. They were on the beach, and we went down, and we told them like, you guys need to stay out in the clear more. You know, you're kind of off in this little zone, and you, trouble could happen. You know, you just got to be careful. You don't know who's around and who wants to start a hassle and all this." Right. And they said, "Well, there's a." party going right around the corner you know and and they they said there is and the cops walked around the corner and there's a whole hail a grave area so they came back and they asked the people they're like why did you think there was a party going on and they said we heard singing and laughing and music and everything else so <sighs> all this happened the same night you know wow so i i i'm a pretty spiritual person and yeah. i believe in s- stuff like that and that's not a story somebody told me that was something i experienced firsthand in Waimea Falls, which is a very spiritual area. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, oh, and it turned out that the guy from the Arboretum came, and we were talking about the whole thing, and he said, well, those sound like drum beats, you know, like the, the what you're explaining to uh-huh. them. You know, at the time, we didn't know it sounded like somebody walking around, or, but it was, after he said that, it was like, you're right, that's what it was. Yeah. So... That's my ghost story, you know. Well, that's good. I like it. Yeah. I like that somebody has one. Not everybody has one. So, yeah, yeah it's pretty exciting. Well, Brian, I know you got to get on a flight here. You got to go back to Oahu. Hopefully, you're going to be back here next week. Yeah, Lava's so. going into the ocean. Yeah, it's that's gonna what be I want to see. Fun. Um, mad respect to Pele. Thank you for giving us all of this great excitement. And yeah. um, thank you, Brian, for being on the show. Um, do you have a? You want to shout out to your family or sponsors or? Uh, just, uh, thanks for everybody all these years for loving my photos. You know, that's as a photographer, you're doing it to make people happy. And, you know, I love when people write in and tell me how great my photos make them feel. And that's the real, that's the real thing. That's why you do it. Well, thank you for giving us something to be thankful for. (laughs) All right, dude. So, all right, right on, Brian. Thanks for being on the show. And until next week, uh, hooey ho. Thank you, my friend. Brian, thanks so much for being on the show, man. That was awesome. God, I loved having you around and, you know, experiencing cool shit with you. 
Um, and I want to thank each and every one of you guys for tuning into this podcast every week. I couldn't do it without you, and I couldn't do it without my sponsors. So let's give a big shout out to Maverick Sport Fishing right here in Kona. Uh, you, can, you guys come down here, check out Captain Trevor Child on the Maverick, and man, you guys got a chance to catch thousand pound marlin giant yellowfin tuna my mahi's dorados this guy's the best out there in kona he's got top of the line gear he does he specializes in overnight charters full day charters three quarter day charters half day charters uh you can find him at mavericksportfishing.com or you can call him at 808-896-7985. And that's Captain Trevor Child. Tell him you heard it on Doze Nose. He's going to hook you up for sure. And you guys all know I'm a big fan of the ocean. That's why the Big Island is my home, because of its amazing waters. So if you're planning on spending some time in my backyard on the Big Island, Doze knows that your first stop, that, that, should be Kona Boys. They've been serving up gear for island life in Aloha since 1996. They're the one-stop shop for ocean fun. They operate a legit selection of local style activities, including historical va'a rides, that's the Hawaiian outrigger canoe, paddleboard tours and lessons, and they're one of the only companies permitted to do kayak tours in Kalakikua Bay. That's the bay where Captain Cook discovered Hawaii, but he also died right here. Yep. Hawaiians on Nali, brother. So if you need to rent boards, bikes, boogies, or other beach goodies, Kona Boys is your spot. Come see Frank and Brock. They have two locations, one down at the King Kamehameha Beach Hotel, um, right in Kamakohonu Bay, right at the Kailua Pier, and also down in Captain Cook is their main store. Uh, they have all kinds of gear, clothing, top of the line, everything you can think of. Go in there, tell them you heard it on Doze Nose. They'll give you 15% off right off the bat. And also, if you go check them out online at KonaBoys.com, same thing, enter promo code Doze Nose, get 15% off right off the bat. Kona Coffee and Tea, it's where I get my morning crack every morning. Um, the girls welcome me with a beautiful smile. Doze, what's up? I come in there. Everybody's in there. Super warm, super welcoming. These guys have the best coffee in town. They grow it up on the slopes of Hualalai. Bring, roast it, bring it down every morning so we have it fresh and enjoyable. And it is enjoyable. The whole ambiance and atmosphere in this place is killer. I'm usually there around 8 o'clock in the morning, so if you guys are in town and you hear this, come by, say hi, have some coffee with me. Um, check them out online, KonaCoffeeAndTea.com. Uh, also, I want to thank Original Nutritionals. Um, these guys aren't your regular meathead supplement brand. It's just pure basic and essential food and supplements to support what they call a clean athlete lifestyle. My buddy Logan founded the company with a food-first approach, working with average men and women like you and I to the best action sports stars and team sport athletes in the world. These guys know how to do it right. So head over to OriginalNutritionals.com and grab what you need. And for listening, once again, oh my gosh, everybody wants to throw out these promos. It's 15% off when you punch in Doze Nose. So go check them out. Logan also started this killer gym in Venice Beach. Um, it's right off the boardwalk, so it's not Muscle Beach, but it's, it's, yeah, it's really cool, man. These guys specialize in any kind of workout you guys can think of, from strength training to uh, Olympic guys to cardio, whatever it is, you guys want to do it, strongman, they got a workout for you. They'll customize it to you, to your body. It doesn't matter if you're 8 or 80. 
Go in there, check them out. Deuce Jim, Venice Beach. Tell them you heard it on Dozo's. Logan's going to personally take charge of your body and help you get as fit and healthy as possible. I want to thank my friends at Hurley. Bob Hurley has been a friend of mine for a long time. And with a launch of Hurley, he changed the perception of what surfing can be. For him, it was all about positivity, inclusiveness, and making the absolute best product and empowering the next generation. Fast forward to today, and his vision has never been more relevant. Hurley makes the best board shorts on the planet. And there goes my phone. Let me turn that thing off. I don't know who's calling me right now. But we all know that they have the best board shorts on the planet. John John wears them. Carissa wears them. All the top pros wear them. So go check them out. The Phantom, Phantom Board Shorts uh, at Hurley.com. Um, GoPro, those little cameras you guys put on your head, on your bicycles, on your surfboards, have uh, been transforming the way people visually capture and share their lives. What began as an idea to help athletes self-document themselves engaged in their sport, GoPro has become a standard for how people capture themselves engaged in their interests, whatever they may be, from extreme to mainstream, professional to consumer. GoPro enables the world to capture and share its passion in the form of immersive and engaging content. For more information, go to www.gopro.com or connect on social media, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, Instagram, LinkedIn. They are social media whores. Yes, I love it. Just like myself. You guys can find me on all social media as well at uh, Dozer Dave on Instagram, Dozer Dave Knows on Twitter, yeah, the bird one, and then Facebook, Dozer Dave Barnett. Also, my website, dozenose.com. And uh, hit me up, check me out, check out all the pictures and the videos, and hear more in depth about who the guests are. I would love to hear from you guys, so make sure you guys send me some feedback. Let me know how I'm doing, what I can do to change and better the show. Love you guys, and until next week, a hooey ho. Everybody knows.